Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. We will have our Xavier Protocol segment, some hot takes discussing something new and shiny, and our main topic of the week. We would like to begin by thanking you, the listener, for giving us your time to listen to our opinions of the game. On the podcast, we have Jacob, Sploosh, and myself, Dizzard. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Danger Room. Once again, we find ourselves without a dizzard. So we've a uh, very kind, very kindly Mark Garot, aka Roster Doctor, has stepped in uh, to help us out. Mark, hello. How are you doing? Good, good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Justin, did you do well in the battle uh, battle realm league? Uh, I I, I didn't play in. The, I, I didn't a, catch up on the. Yeah, I didn't take. I didn't play in the battle realm league. I took a bit of a break, uh, and I was busy organizing an invitational. I was busy planning what I'm going to do for season five, uh, and taking part in a really good uh, hundred dollar draft. Heroes for Hire format that was really good fun. But Mark, more about you. For anyone who's not uh, met you before, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit, talk about some of the content you put out? Yeah, so uh, some of you might know me as the creator uh, and sole developer of Assemble. Some of you might know me as the Roster Doctor podcast. Some of you might know me from my tier lists and first impressions on acrossthebifrost.com. I just have a lot of fingers in a lot of different pies uh, in the MCP content ecosystem. (laughs) <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you for stepping in today. Um, we're going to head up first with a bit of a Xavier Protocol. So I haven't done much of this recently, but I've been running some numbers. I got very excited when I saw the Scarlet Witch panel to play. Uh, in case you haven't seen that, she's got a, a really nice ability where she counts fails, so the skull symbol, as successes. So it's not quite as good as the reality gem, which counts them as crits, but they count towards all of her attack and defense rolls. Uh, And so I've been running some numbers on what does that look like? It also said in the panel to play that she had a range four six dice attack. So looking at six dice with um, six dice with that ability to count skulls, then looking and seeing what that looks like, it's really good is the short answer. Um, so I started pulling together some of what I thought were the best attacks in the game, the best builds in the game, and to compare what that looks like. And it turns out she's right up there. So I pulled out Corvus with uh, five dice with a reality gem, Modok six dice with a reroll, She-Hulk with a seven dice base attack, uh, Scarlet Witch then with six dice and counting counting skulls, and Thanos with a six dice counting skulls as crits. And that was the order from least good to best. So looks like, oh, sorry, uh, and Magneto, where he's within two and re-rolls everything. He's way, way, way out front in the, in the lead. But in terms of raw numbers, her attacks, unsurprisingly, look a lot like Thanos with the reality gem. So although she doesn't get the extra dice from the crit, that doesn't change the numbers too much because it's not that, it doesn't skew it that much. But it looks like she's got a 68% chance to get at least three hits on her six dice builder. And she's going to gain power off it, remember. And a 42% chance of getting four or more hits. So she's going to be dishing out a lot of pain. And like I said, that that stacks up better than uh, Corvus, although I didn't factor it in Pierce quite the same. Uh, It's better than Modoc when he's only got one reroll, which he would like. So we're thinking about like turn one of the game. 
uh, and better than She-Hulk with a with a base seven dice. So she's gonna pack a real real punch. She's gonna seriously dish out dish out the damage. Um, and I think especially the comparison with Modok is particularly apt because they're both going to be five threat characters with mystic attacks. Uh, and it looks like she's shaping up to be a more heavy hitter than Modok, which is saying something. Yeah, it's definitely looking scary. Uh, I can't wait to see her full kit to see exactly what's going on there. But uh yeah, it sounds like she's going to be punching in the same weight class as him, which is very exciting for Brotherhood, who kind of already loved playing that kind of dual flank B fighting style with Magneto mm-hmm. and Modok. Well, it becomes a heck of a lot easier once you replace Modok with uh, Scarlet Witch, and now you have a lot of flexibility with your unaffiliated Yeah, slots. and add in Deception, so you can reel in a target to get blown up by whichever side they've advanced forwards on. Yeah, that feels like that's going to be good. It's good to me. I lo- I'm addicted lately to reality gem type stuff. It's been real good to have nice and efficient dice, reliable dice. Uh, yeah, it's nice when your dice physically can't be bad. <laughs> I think that they're gonna. They've said they're going to release Scarlet Witch's card literally the day this podcast goes out, so on on Monday. So we'll probably be doing a hot take on her and her brother uh, next week. But this week for the hot takes, we're gonna catch up on two we didn't quite get to in the last episode, and one new one that just dropped. So we're gonna have a look at Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Mister Sinister. So Mark, which of those would you like to start talking about? Let's go with Mr. Sinister. I feel like he's the sexiest of the three, and not just because he's rocking that like full-on six-pack in the mini. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that weird rag cape? Mm. So, what do you think of him? I, I think he's very reminiscent of Hela, um, and might fulfill the job that we see her excelling at. Um in a better way than her. Um, so specifically, the the way that I kind of envision him is he moves just like Hela, same base size, same medium move. Uh, his defenses are a little bit worse, but when you take into account the fact that he can uh, use the genetic sample tokens that he collects, which he also collects easier than Hela collects souls, um, to have a surprising amount of tankiness to the point where people might just actually ignore him unless they're forced to. Um, because if he can just block up to three damage at any given time, uh, it's just going to be super painful to actually try and force him down. You're probably not going to do it in a single activation because he's got functionally nine health on his front side if you get him set up appropriately. Yeah. I, 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 uh, and more important than Hela is uh, the genetic splicing attack is range four. Well, it's a beam four, which is even better, but it's range four as opposed to hers being a range three, which I think is a not insignificant advantage for his kind of lone flank holder because he excels on B and side D, I feel. Hela attacked yeah, I was going to say, I was four. just checking that. I feel like her, her still soul. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking yeah, of her yeah, ultimate. I'm thinking of her ultimate. Yep, yep, yep. I always want to get off that big reign of hell and I never get to because it's range three and that's just seared into my memory and I transpose the two. Apologies. Uh, so 
Yeah, I think I, I completely agree. And I, uh, when I first saw the card, I was comparing it to Heller as well. And it does feel like it's kind of fixed the alternate resource economy. Um, souls were kind of cute, but it was sometimes a bit weird in terms of you wanted to act with Heller early and then commit her, and then she wouldn't get a chance to pick up souls because she was going to get dazed. Um, and so you had this weird, do I do what's right for my crisis play or do I do what's right for my mini game of Heller's managing souls? And Sinister feels like he's smoothed that bit because he's much more likely to to get those, um, particularly on like clumped up scenarios on like uh, C's or E shape secures. Uh, but the big standout difference for me is the um, uh, such fun little playthings, which is basically bow to the will of Modoc, except you can only do it once per turn, which again feels fixed because being able to do that repeatedly, I think, was something which we've seen is a little bit problematic on Modoc and Enchantress. Just it's a little bit too much control for when those characters, both of whom are pretty good at building up power, have got lots of power to spend. And Sinister doesn't feel like. I mean, I, th- I think the, the the thing that sits out on him is he doesn't feel like he's going to be generating lots of power. He's only got his power generation from his strike, yeah. and he f- it feels like you don't want him at range two. You want him at range four, picking up genetic samples. So that then leads into the whole. Uh, quick correction: uh, his strike is range three, ah. which is nice. But you are. Uh, wanting to force genetic splicing over and over and over again. Which is, again, problematic and kind of runs into a similar thing that Heller ran into, which is that he's only got enough power to innately fuel genetic splicing once a turn, just like she can only uh, fuel Steel Soul once per turn. So it feels like you're wanting to get him some power. So immediately you're thinking about Cabal, because uh, if that five dice uh, mystic attack does damage, seems pretty likely, then he's going to get the power to use it again. Uh, You're thinking about uh, Brotherhood or maybe A-Force that give you power off their leadership, or Inhumans where you can transfer power onto him. And I think Inhumans is the one where I'm kind of most excited for him. I I think that's going to be a good way, especially with that that massive six-cost spender being able to transfer power onto him so that he can pull that off and get a a range area three, six dice mystic attack with cool stuff that happens um, when he rolls Yahtzee on it as well. Yeah, Uh, and an important difference between him and Hela, while they do have a similar power issue, um, if you put him into Cabal, um, he actually has a much healthier pattern than Hela because... Let's say he starts the round with one power. He powers up to one power. He can double tap genetic splicing as long as he deals a damage. Hella can't in the same situation because she'll go from zero power to two power, spend her two power on the attack, get one back, um, and then uh, not be able to make her other yeah, that attack. Didn't- that didn't come up as much um, because typically first round you're moving up and then making a range four attacks tends to be the pattern of play that I found with her. But I guess with Red, with Red Skull... Yeah, it, it depends on how yeah. much you're spending. Yeah. Mm, I, I found it different, actually. I would move, pick up something, be in position for the next turn. For the next turn, attack, attack. Something like that was more common for me. Yeah, if she has three ball. power, that's a healthier pattern, yes. But if you have an, in, if you have an extract and a... Uh, uh, like flip extract you have to deal with um oh, yeah, with her yeah. uh it'll be problematic uh whereas well i guess mr sinister can't do both um but he just won't care about having to do one because he's essentially ready to go in cabal any given turn uh as, as long as he's not poisoned so we only know he's probably in brotherhood right like there's we have no yeah idea. 
uh, just talking synergies for getting power onto him. No, absolutely. I'm just segueing here in that, like, you guys feel he's good in Brotherhood, I guess. Um, I mean, in in a him being for threat means that like Sabretooth could just get retired for you know, and then just go with that, and then power is good for Brotherhood, right? They're good at giving power to other people. My experience with Brotherhood has been more that I want a particular core, and if I've got flex to fit a crisis level, I'm going to flex the other pieces. Like, you know, whether I take Valkyrie or Vision doesn't really matter if I want to get that that top of round one, throw a range two into a size two into a size two, either of them can do it. If that's what I'm building my strategy around or my my initial power base in my first few turns, I've got a, a point flex there. And it's more important to me to get the core characters in affiliation that I want in affiliation for Brotherhood. That's been the way I've been approaching it anyway. So the question is, yeah, is Sinister someone that I'm going to want to include? And I feel like he's going to be playing a similar kind of role in a Brotherhood team to that which Enchantress plays. And Enchantress makes my Brotherhood teams a lot. Well, that's what I'm getting at is, so he's really only affiliated once so far. And, like, that makes him mostly an unaffiliated character. And you guys are comparing him to Hela, who's kind of fallen off the meta. And, I mean, I, a lot, I've heard a lot of people compare him to Vision. I'm sure you guys have seen that. And I, I kind of agree. I mean, the mechanics of the tokens and stuff, I agree 100%. He's, he's a lot like Hela, but I do think... And it, he moves like Hela, right? Because he's a medium base, moving medium, which yep. is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, and that, that is fast. It doesn't sound fast, but it is. Uh, the, and he flies, which I don't understand why he flies actually, but he flies for some reason. Um, Telekinesis. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, so, but that also is a little bit vision esque with the beams, and he doesn't really have any dice mods. Um, vision could throw people with two power, you know, uh, sinister bounce people. And I personally was like playing Vision a little bit bef- uh, testing, and then I ended up cutting him for like Medusa and even Enchantress, when I could fit her. So I guess the question is here, is he actually good enough if we're comparing him only to Hela? Like, is he as good as Medusa or Enchantress, and why? Yeah, (laughs) that's the short answer. You're you're going to be looking at where he plays affiliated and playing him there. Um, Or, like I said, I I, I quite like Inhumans for him. I can see trying to build around that, and I think that little bit of power is going to work really well for him. But what he's not going to do, which we talked about within humans before, was he's not going to be very good at paying back that power. So maybe he doesn't make the grade there. Yeah, he can't hand it back to anyone. Um, He's not generating. You do already have Medusa, so it's not like you're cutting Medusa. But then you're maybe cutting like Enchantress or something, where maybe you could just do Medusa and Enchantress. Though, though something that would be interesting is trying to go some kind of Loki abuse route where you try and use Loki's aura plus his ability to hand out root to just get it so that people have to pay two to use superpowers and like see how bad you can screw people up with that. Because he, he actually feels playable as a splash on like Groot, who like Groot literally does anything except it's kind of hard for him to die. That's like the only thing Groot does. But uh, Mr. Sinister will actually do things. So you think he could maybe be playable in some version of Asgard? I don't. The problem with Asgard, maybe Asgard, is they Asgard don't really play probably that way. Cabal. I'm I'm yeah. thinking more likely Cabal. Something okay, like yeah, Cabal. it might be uh, Red Skull, Loki, Sinister, Modok. 
Or I think he might be quite fun under Sin. I think maybe that's worth exploring. Ooh. Really? Uh, just he's got... He's, he's, uh, what Sin wants is she wants characters that stick around, characters that can stand next to someone and not get dazed. And he's good at doing that. Uh, and he's got a control effect so that he can pull someone who's kind of just hanging around just outside of range uh, so that they're not in the Sin leadership bubble. They're not within two of another character. Uh, so they're not contesting an objective or they're not within two for the extract. Uh, and they can pull them to where they want to be. So that I just feel like maybe maybe there's some some cute play there. Maybe that's good enough to make the grade. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty keen on the whole double date, super steel priority. Kind yeah, of concept, it's it's not bad, but that doesn't but... mean there's other not other good things to do with her. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just a min maxer. I want like the <laughs> best possible strategy. I, I think what you're saying is kind of neat. Um, I'm just trying to like rationalize that as actually being better. I don't know. I mean, maybe criminal syndicate. If if that's what you're talking about, just not dying is kind of like yeah. He's got more health on his healthy side than he does um, on his injured side. So yeah, yeah. He he's got a lot of controlling and taxing abilities. The bigger problem is his power economy, which I think will uh, make him not really shine in criminal syndicate because they don't do anything to help yeah, his power. And they have all their own power um, issues anyway. Yeah. So how how is he going to afford to handing out root to bowing somebody every turn? Uh, him being size three too is interesting. I think they could have easily made him size two, and no one yep. would have said anything. Um, so size three, just you know, the anti Valkatech kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I could kind of like I can see Syndicate as maybe kind of a stretch, but probably there's just like other characters that do it a little better. I think you know, like like would he would Dwarf just be better? Dwarf's a lot slower, but. Um, you know, well, I think the closer things. analog to him in the context of Criminal Syndicate would be Enchantress, who hmm. does like the same function but better. Arguably. And she's got the extract play as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just keeps coming back to Enchantress. To, to be honest, it's it's gonna maybe it's beating a dead horse, but because Enchantress exists, it sort of just changes the math on everything else. She like kind of warps the game. The the fact that he is range four with the attack he wants to be doing most is a little bit promising because if you if you look at the metaphors that everybody's splashing and everybody's complaining about, it's Medusa and it's Enchantress. They are essentially pure range three fighters. They don't do anything outside of range three. So anytime you see an opportunity to go to range four or range five, I think there is a niche. Um, we've seen that with Vision, and we might see that to a similar degree with Mister Sinister. It's it's a shame though the the way his power problems exist because imagine him flush with power. I mean, you know, you I'm sure you know you play Vision or Enchantress. You can kind of do that thing where you like move someone into a beam and then you do a bigger beam. Yep. Uh, but I don't see him easily doing that, right? Because it's like, well, I already kind of short on power, so I have to I want to move someone, but then. After I move them, I want a beam, but the, the beam costs me power too. Maybe maybe he's another. Uh, yeah, where, you, you, know. you have to solve the power puzzle. And then I think he's really scary. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't bother. Maybe he's him. another uh, Infinity Fair Formula speed. specialist, just loving, or maybe cubes where the uh, he's getting extra power from the, uh, from the crisis setup. Yeah, that's no, I also agree. very um, good. The game is so wide now, you can't play, you can't really play characters based on, I hope I get this thing. 
Uh, unless like eventually we get I think, more. I think I'm going to disagree like with you there, Splish. Well, mono affiliation, yeah, yeah, you can I'm get away with. Definitely going to disagree with you. You know, I was playing a defender's roster which had basically three different modes, and I could guarantee I was getting one of them. Uh, I'm looking at playing like Hulk in Brotherhood for one particular crisis, and I'm dedicating a slot in my roster and a team tactics card for Gamma launch for that. So. I mean, it comes up a, th a third of the time. If you want to force something, you can make it happen with priority a, th a third of the time, and you can make it happen with or without priority 50% of the time. So I, I, uh, I'm not sure that... Yeah, maybe it's the team, because like in Defenders, you're playing like a smaller team sometimes, so like there's more slots just mm. kind of inherently. But I don't... If, unless If you're someone who's trying to get five characters... Or even like a swarm, like even more, right? Yeah, it's that's true. Maybe, maybe he fits better in a team that's going narrower. That's a fair point. Which, you know, Brotherhood, for example, because, yep. right, we're talking about how they could go kind of fat. Right. Um, but I don't know. I don't have much else yeah. to say about this guy. I think without knowing where he's affiliated, and, and unfortunately, that's kind of where things stop, I think, a little bit. Um, it'd be kind of cool. Like, I'd be actually kind of surprised in delighted if he was in x-men i know it seems kind of ridiculous but clearly they um they didn't want to make marauders and if you if they there was like a spoiler uh, like advertisement and they and granted you know marketing they don't know what they're talking about but it said something like sinister's really good with x-men and brotherhood i mean were they just saying oh it's because they're x-men and if you're a fan of x-men then play him yeah maybe but i wouldn't it'd be interesting if they like got cute with it and added them to X-Men too. So I, 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 I have, um, what, what's it called? I have a limited understanding of the X-Men comics, but a, like recently, isn't there like this weird story arc where yes. they all live on this Island that's a mutant yep. and yeah, yeah. is part of the government along with apocalypse. Yeah. He's like one of the leaders of the entire society, uh, apocalypse two and uh, Magneto. So, it's it's basically every major good and bad guy in X Men. <laughs> yeah, basically, Xavier saw the future uh, through a mutant and knew that mutants were doomed. So he convinced all the mutants to well, the, the big guys, right, Magneto and uh, Apocalypse. He convinced them all that hey, if we don't work together, we will cease to exist. And they're like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much it. Um, not that it's a huge tangent, but basically he, the biggest role Sinister played is that Xavier knew Sinister had blood samples of every single mutant in the world, which, you know, sounds a little ridiculous, but hey, it's Sinister. And he they used the blood samples of dead mutants to bring them back to life. Convenient. Let's move on yeah. and talk about Iron Fist. So, Mark, any thoughts on Iron Fist? Ah, well, I think it was a pretty terrible show. Uh, it just had awful pacing. Uh, no, no disagreement here. Um, Petulant Fist was bad. I like a few of the actors, though. But anyway, what about the what about the model? Yeah, uh, not not to get too much on a tangent, but I am actually a little bit intrigued by him. I haven't gotten enough table time with him to like fully get the ins and outs. But I think flying kick is a fascinating ability. The fact that you guaranteed get power um, for it and teleport to somebody uh, means that with its range three, it's essentially your medium move, right? As long as they're not at like, as long as they're within three, you essentially get a free medium move. 
So I think I think he has a lot of weird action economy. Um, and if you ever get to pull off the spender, which you're probably going to round two and maybe once more in the game, unless you have a good way of funneling extra, extra power into him. Uh, he's just going to clap people. Yeah. I've played against him a bit. I haven't played with him, but I played against him a bit and he's been kind of, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the term distraction can effects. Have you come across that? Yeah. Just, just for our listeners. Yeah. Uh, Does that ever really apply to a three? Well, a three, yeah, so Sorry, go, go ahead, finish a, your a definition. This comes from 40k. A Carnifex is like a big gribbly monster with like big tearing claws. And the idea was that your opponent would be so scared of that big gribbly monster getting to your stuff that it would spend all its time shooting it as it came across the table to you, therefore ignoring the rest of your army. So it was an idea it was drawing fire and drawing resources away that could be doing other things. And I kind of felt he was a bit like that in that I was doing, I, I didn't find it terribly hard to daze and KO or control him to the point where he never got his Iron Fist strike off. But the threat of him getting his Iron Fist strike off meant that I had to, I felt I had to devote resources to making that happen. And maybe that was enough to give a bit of an edge elsewhere on the, on, on the, on the table. So I can see he's a really cool character. And again, stealing from another game, he feels like a real Timmy character from from Magic, where you've got this big, cool thing, and I'm going to pull off this big, cool thing, and it's going to be really cool, and it's amazing, and it's going to be really powerful, and it's going to be, yeah. Um, but as a, looking at it from a competitive level, the thing I like most on his card is the fact he starts with two power. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Especially Love me some portal. two power. Yeah, yeah, having another, yeah, another character yeah. with two power for portals, or uh, in defenders, having someone else who can play on those pay to interact secures and not hating them. I think both of those are really valid things for him to be doing. So, I mean, I'm, you're a Mister Portal guy. It's kind of going to become your thing if you don't start playing a different yeah. affiliation. <laughs> But um, is he valid? Like, is it a legit thing? People like worth talking about? Is he? I much, I much prefer Valkyrie for being the person going through the portal. But it's always their power economy on the first round is always really, really tight. And so having somebody else who you can R and D from and potentially give two people a power, I can see that being valuable. Having him so that he can go and pick up an extract and then R and D one to strange. So strange can go through a portal. That's really valuable as well as Valkyrie having jumped through a portal and done whatever. So paid one's gone through a portal and paid one to like grab an extract on the way or afterwards or whatever. So I can see value for having a, 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 a character with extra uh, with extra power. Uh, I often used to play Hella or Lockjaw as uh, they, they were common in my lists just because they had extra power and it was just so useful. It turned on so many round one plays that were available as well as running Valk. And I would use often all of that power. Something that... Uh, so, something that isn't quite germane to like the the main defenders portals play right now, but I think master martial martial artist is uh, actually a huge deal in this meta, um, and makes him very attractive as like a flank piece because since it, he gets that counting blinks at range three instead of range two, um, all of these dominant range three fighters that we're seeing just come up over and over and over again suddenly get less effective against him. Like, yeah, and Medusa's range two, struggle right? to even push him. Yeah, 
I mean, like, seriously, like, Rage 2 is still really good. Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. You said, there's range a lot three, of Rage sure. 3. Yeah. 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 Um, and really, the only super popular Range 4 is, like, Okoye, but she's Modoc. just the menace anyway, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a great point. And actually, I, honestly, I was just looking over the card while um, Jacob was talking. I forgot he even had this thing because I, I was thinking, like, why is he so soft? But he's not that soft, actually. He's got this wacky martial art thing going on. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that makes him more durable uh, on the math, right, than like a Valkyrie, right? Because Valkyrie's just got one more health than him, which we did talk about how um, in the past, like how more health is sometimes just better than it, dice. It hugely depends but, on how strong the know. attacks coming in are. Um, yeah, so it, it, there's there's too many variables for me to give a simple answer to that. Yeah, but like typically on like average dice, because he is a three threat, so if somebody's like, you know, blowing their best attacks on this guy, maybe there's, like you said, he's kind of a decoy. Yeah, uh, and um, I think... Yeah, and again, this is why I think he's a great D flank holder. Because if they're only going to allocate one person over there, unless it's a heavy hitter, they're probably going to have a really hard taking him down. And if they try and come short, they probably just gave you an extra iron fist this game. Yeah, that, that feels likely. Uh, so I can see him, yeah, on D. I, um, his other affiliation, though, Avengers, doesn't do much for him because he doesn't have any superpowers he pays power for. Yep. Yeah, that's right. He's kind of like Ant-Man. Poor Ant-Man. Um, just doesn't really feel welcome in his yeah. own affiliation. Um, you guys Talking are kind of convincing me he's even better than I thought he was because I like what you said, like the whole like Timmy concept. The idea is that you can do a build around. And I I just immediately was thinking like, what can you do to like make him get the crazy attack? Um, Inhumans, you know, the, Brotherhood. Yeah. Probably not yeah, Cabal. Yeah. Probably not. Um yeah, and then there's, of course, like, A-Force could just keep dropping yep. stuff on him, right? Wait, wait, I've broken it wide open. Cyclops-led X-Men. No. Is this <laughs> where we put in the slow hand? Oh, I... No, no, actually, he's just role-playing Blizzard <laughs> right now, so... Appreciate you bringing that presence. Um, I, I like Cyclops, but never as leader. Uh, I wouldn't say never, yeah. but not but yet. That's a story for another day. Yeah, we've, we've talked a lot about Cyclops randomly. I don't think his spender is... It's too expensive, I think, for Cyclops. Mm. Um, him starting at two power every turn, though, is really cool. I, I actually think that's like kind of like um, competitively like his most yeah. exciting thing, which probably a lot of people wouldn't think. But so, like, joking yeah. aside, you actually can theoretically use Iron Fist round one with Cyclops being the leader. Because you can, no matter the cost... And uh, use the X-Men blue leadership to essentially reduce the cost of the attack by six. Okay. And it, it requires your opponent crossing the midline. Yeah, you probably but... want like Gwen and Mystique with Deception in there as well to make that all happen. And even then, your nine dice attack, sometimes you just don't yeah. roll very well. Yeah, but if you want to go full Timmy, I think that might actually be the best way to go. Yeah. Um now, does he have to hit people for all this nonsense, or what? No, he just gets... Uh, his yeah, ultimate? No, yeah. before, it's before damage is dealt, the character gets an activation yeah. token. Okay, so, yeah, for that cost, it better be automatic. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there something where you play defenders, and you don't give people activation tokens for, like, half the game, and then on that, like, swing turn, you just 
give the opponent a bunch of activation tokens is is it possible you could do some wacky like follow me combo into like two people giving activation tokens but then the big problem with that is you're giving away priority as well so you need to put the game kind of beyond reach well no yeah it needs to be that last turn you know like to just shut out your opponent when maybe um, they would have been. Able to I mean, he's something. more reliable than Strange in that regard because Strange has got about a fifty percent chance. Yeah, it's true. Strange is Strange isn't even no. guaranteed, so that's kind of nonsense. Also, for Strange to do follow me, you would need ten power, which um, uh, probably I've not had happening. Strange on ten power plenty of times, but then he's um, not using any of his. He's not got any for his defensive stuff. But you know, if you're activating their major characters, maybe that's not a problem. Yeah, that's right. And he can take the gem, so that helps mm. a lot with power. Um, yeah, I don't know. It might see, but that goes down into the rabbit hole, right? Where you start letting yourself get crazy. Um, I like actually the reason I I like him more is just listening to you guys talk about normal Iron Fist. It's like that gets me actually more excited than the crazy combo stuff. But the crazy combo stuff can still happen, and it it would be kind of cool to play defenders and have some kind of wacky situation where you kind of close your opponent out by just activating their characters. I suppose one more thing to say is with if Strange is near Iron Fist, I mean, defenders are already great on close scenarios uh, because Strange bumping defenses. But if you're bumping defenses on a character who counts blanks, then five dice counts blanks, suddenly Iron Fist is seriously tanky. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that. that's... Yeah, that, that's any, like yeah. Black Panther. That's, yeah. He's nearly Black Panther then. Yeah, I think if you're just like ideologically opposed to playing like the full-on aggressive portals play and you just want to play like fighty defenders with Strange being your anchor, I think he is a great frontline piece. Yeah. Um, specifically you're probably taking over that. Hawkeye in that kind of build. Yeah. Flying well, depending on the crisis. Flying Kick is almost um, a free charge, too, which is pretty wild. I mean, yep. it's worse a little bit because it's four dice, right? But it is giving you a power. It's like guaranteed giving you a power, and you spent nothing to use yeah. it. So, um, you know, you, he will oh, build quick. You can also do wacky Flying Kick chains to contest a secure that you otherwise probably shouldn't have been able and to. One last thing. Uh, what? Yeah. Double Wild kicks. stun on the cheese strike as well is really, really good. Uh, I mean, it's only five dice, so we're looking at like forty-eight percent or something. But uh, if you make two of them, then suddenly you're looking at like seventy-five percent. And you know, some characters really hate being stunned. Yeah, yep. if you can land a stun on Corvus, um, and, and I think She Hulk yeah, Hulk would be again. the biggest. Um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, not Modok, <laughs> but you know, that's the Modok life. Yeah, doesn't work on Modok. Yeah, you guys are selling me, man. I was a little kind of medio, you know, <coughs> lukewarm on Iron Fist, but I'm actually yeah. kind of liking it more. I just think you have to almost like play defenders, and I don't think I would go nuts trying to get him unaffiliated. Yeah, he he's definitely not worth an unaffiliated Speaking slot. Speaking of moment. Luke, shall we move on to Luke Cage? Sure, sounds good. Sweet so, Spruce, um, you got any thoughts on Luke Cage? Oh man, I, I I put even even less thought into Luke Cage than Iron Fist. I know that he's kind of like Drax 2.0, but can taunt people. 
Um, I believe he's going to... I don't know if I heard he was going to be an Avenger. He yeah, could he be is. an Avenger. Or if he just would no, be he's, good he's, in he's Avenger. He's affiliated yeah. to Avengers and Defenders. So, like, he does seem... Excellent. Yeah, he seems kind of built for them because he's got the two abilities that cost two, and that's sort of like the magic of Avengers. Uh, he can. He has like a with the taunt that's just like um, Black Dwarf, and so play, paying one for that, and you're going, you're doing it out of activation, so it means you can do it multiple times. Uh, also, having a character with unbreakable skin, some minus one damage, and taunting. I mean, that's really powerful. Um, I think in general, like that's, I, I, the ability to bodyguard is probably like secretly maybe one of the best abilities in this game and will always be because the ability to prevent focus fire is just so incredibly strong in, in kind of all games. Um, at least I know in miniature games. And so having a character that can like prevent focus fire is really powerful. Um, and, and he's tanky as all hell. So that, that kind of gives him his difference than the tracks, right? It's just being able to like distract your opponent and make them spend energy on the wrong target seems very good to me. So, uh, also, I Avengers are not the best, they don't have like the best three threat characters. Like, it's kind of like Hawkeye, and then like, eh, <laughs> I don't know, Agent Widow is not the best, so he might just be the like new three threat Avenger. Uh, am I mistaken? Am I missing no, something there? I think there? That's, that's a decent that... call. Um, it, it definitely accentuates that tanky style that they're uh, very famous for because typically your opening lineup is going to be something like Cap, BP, Thor, Vision, like some combination of those characters. So being able to get like a three threat, which none of those other Giga tanks are, um, to like slide in at different threat values, I think is going to be very attractive. I don't think he's going to change the role of Avengers in the meta right now, but I think he is going to be an exciting option for people who are already committed to playing them hell or high water. Well, and we also have Falcon around the corner, right? So, like, you never know, right? All of a sudden, yeah. not needing Cap and then having Cage and, like, Hawkeye could completely change, like, how Avengers are looked at. Um, that's pretty exciting to wait for. I mean, it, it, I, you know, it's all sort of pending. We don't know, but I think that would put Cage on the map. Um, and I think Cage, not, you know, the, the problem with Avengers isn't wouldn't have been Cage. I think it's the fact that a lot of people are kind of down on Cap. It's just not really like tuned correctly. Um, I mean, I've heard I've heard some real hot takes out there uh, where people telling me if Cap costs three threat, he still wouldn't be good. And I was like, I don't no, know. No, he, he would be great at three threat. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem is he's a three threat that got a really good leadership slapped on him. And so I guess they just rounded up. Yeah. Uh, and or, I, I, I mean, th this is pure speculation, but like balancing the two boxes of threat value against each other for like the starting games. Yeah. That might have had an effect on Cap and Spider-Man. I'm not sure. Um, but... Uh, and even Crossbones. I feel like Crossbones was like dancing around this weird place of like possibly a two threat. And then they're just like, I don't know, let's just round these numbers. So so I, I have to disagree with you here because when I went to LVO right before COVID, it was like literally February 2020. Uh, Pagani was there and he was playing Crossbones. 
And like me and a bunch of other people were like giving him crap for playing crossbones. He's like, no, crossbones is great. And he, he'd even be using like Red Skull to cube crossbones forwards. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I, I think he was right in the end uh, because of Criminal Syndicate. Maybe, maybe it was just because he knew. Well, yeah, he's playing it, in the but... future, right? So yeah. like he, he probably at that time knows like <laughs> yeah, Sin like exists in ahead, Criminal Syndicate. So yes, he, he almost certainly knew about Sin. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a huge tangent. But that's a fun conversation. I, I'm jealous you got to just even hang out with Pagani for a little bit. That sounds really cool. Well, I, I guess another fun story. The the way we met is uh, first, and this was before he worked even at Privateer Press. Um, he he was just like a big shot war machine player. Is I went down to uh, Kingdom Con, which was the essentially the de facto major like. Uh, Southern California convention and it's famous for its drinking. And we got like insanely drunk and started playing loop and Louie for money. And at one point I won a like Starbucks membership card of his that he like signed on the, like he autographed on the back for me and I kept it in my wallet for like years. <laughs> so uh, I've, 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 I've known him like at least in a uh, acquaintance level for six years seven years uh just just like running into him at conventions um and that and that's like honestly the best part of going to conventions uh with amg going forwards because i know that they took that attitude where they're just going to go to a bunch of conventions and you can hang out with them you can play games with them um and it's so cool to see developers being approachable like that so i'm really looking forward for uh post-covid uh, Bring it back to Luke Cage for a second. Uh, do you guys want to have a guess? Yep. Play a little game. What are my chances of getting two wilds on a five dice attack to trigger Luke Cage's stagger? Sploosh, oh, go to you first. Give me a percentage. Uh, I give it like 10%. Okay, Mark, what do you reckon? Uh, um, I don't that might even be too high, to be honest, but I'll do that. I'm going to guess it is at least two. It's probably you like 15% or less. 15%, 14.7, yeah. Um, so it's like you, you can't count on it by any means, but it's, sometimes it's going to come up and be super, super relevant. So it's about it's about one, one in six. So if he makes six attacks in a game, then you're feeling you know probably a bit miffed if he hasn't got it at least once. That dice don't quite work like that, but I would love to see him with reroll yeah, support. Extra dice clearly he's going to bump that number up, um, but everyone loves extra dice and rerolls. So hmm. I guess the rerolls are better. I mean, like <laughs> Luke Cage in Wakanda, do we think? Uh, so that he can pay one to reroll and try and if he's already got one wild, try and reroll into a second one. But I know that feels a little bit too niche. And with Sherry, you la layering multiple reroll effects with him might be yeah. cash money. But I'm not sure they really want. No, I agree. Him. I don't think he does what they want to do. Ah, maybe because of the throw, and if it's actually reliable enough to force the stagger, maybe that's enough action economy disruption combined with well, this. Well, maybe uh, this segues nicely um, into talking about the tactics card that both Iron Fist and Luke case. Oh, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He cannot throw characters, guys. Oh, damn. Damn, damn, damn. What you say that, Sploosh. I, I think you a lot of people assume you say he can't. Can. I know. But then know. that leads into our tactics card, Heroes for Hire. Uh, so this is a really cool tactics card. And the long the, the short version of this is this is really good. 
this is this is really good um so the the the, the, the let's notes version uh is it's like lethal protector but instead of uh, either luke cage or iron fist paying for it it's got to be the character that's targeted that pays for it uh and so long as you don't daze them or you don't uh, sorry as long as you don't Days, Luke Cage or Iron Fist they get to throw the character who's attacking as well now this is the best way I have found of dealing with Magneto it's just it, it's so good against him Magneto wants to get in there into range two so that he's getting all his re-rolls building all his power to throw all the stuff at you and you just go right well you're going to attack this person I'm going to heroes for hire Luke Cage is going to come in he's not going to take much damage because against your physical attack he's got four defense and he's got a damage reduction or I've got Iron Fist who's uh, you know Magneto's only a range three max character he's going to count blanks so they've got a decent chance of surviving it and then I throw you away and then you're out of range two and you have to either move back or I'm making you spend the tactics card in the form of like climbing gear or something in order to get back where you want to be and so it's going to be neutering a serious power piece I really like that into Magneto uh, which I mean I hate facing it <laughs> yeah th this card is bonkers um, the, the fact that it essentially makes it impossible to one round any character within range of this card um, if they don't get physically close enough that a short throw doesn't mean they get out of range, which essentially means unless you get like base to base with your target with a range four attacker, uh, you're going to essentially only get one attack on the key yeah. target that round. Uh, well, and if your character is at one health and you hold this card into late game, that can get pretty good. I and mean, I'm sure you've all experienced it where like, your character's at like one health and the character and the opponent has like a counter strike or something. You're just like praying, you know, um, you know, you get like the character with like the, uh, that like get extra dice. And then if you don't hit them, you take damage thing like on, um, martial prowess, is it yeah. like Proxima yeah. has that. Yeah. Um, I, so this is kind of like a little bit of that too, which is really cool. Um, this card is definitely like, like I love that you keep mentioning Lethal Protector because Lethal Protector, Aim Lackeys, there's like those car those cards in this game that are like really good, but they're not universal. So it, it kind of makes you sad that they're you know it, that's the way this works. And I, I, I'm glad that we got the new restricted ban list because like this card will be much more playable than when Hired mm. Muscle and and uh, you know no matter or all you've got. Uh, yeah, out I there, can see this being you know? an eighth card in a, so, in a roster a lot, so that totally makes sense. Yep, I, and and I, I think we, it would be nice if the community could kind of get a push for like maybe a few more tactics cards in the hand because this is kind of like the kind of card I want to play when I play this game. Like it's it's kind of like thematic and cool, and it feels unique to your roster. Uh, it's really hitting all the cool levels for me. Yeah. Um, and what you would like totally to see. Totally agree. In a, in a I just hate like playing this. against it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just. There is some counterplay, obviously, if you attack someone with no power. But then, then the next attack, they would have. Uh, power my favorite counterplay is attack uh, with Mystique, because one of the things some people forget is that you can't play tactics cards on Mystique's activation either. So you can get around heroes for hire that way. Oof. Yep. 
Okay, I just want to take a little break in the middle here to say a really big thank you to all of our patrons who are supporting us on Patreon. Uh, we've taken some of the funds that you guys have been kindly giving us and invested it in a new mic for me. So hopefully you're already hearing uh, the, the fruits of your investment. So thank you very much. Uh, for any of you who aren't supporting us on Patreon, uh, we have like a, a, is it $1 a month is our lowest level. So if you feel like you're enjoying our content then we'd ask you to take a look and if you can if you're in a place where you can afford even that small amount it really does help us um, to make the podcast as good as it can be on that note we'd also like to thank we've got a couple of sponsors through the across the bifrost nexus uh, we've got blackgate games in the uk and discount games inc in the us these are great places to go if uh, your local game store doesn't have what you're looking for maybe they're sold out or they don't stock mcp or if you don't have a local game store in north america discount games inc uh, ship out i know they're really reliable sploosh has uh, got some stuff through them and has got great things to say about them and blackgate games uh, for the uk and i think they ship to the eu as well so if if you're stuck for a spot to, to get some of your MCP fix, have a look at those two. Yeah, and a personal testimony for Discount Games Inc. real quick. But uh, for people who don't know, uh, Jay, the owner of Discount Games, uh, is uh, a, like a hugely involved person in like the tabletop gaming community uh, in the US. Like he goes to a lot of conventions. He puts out a lot of content. He has a mcp podcast um so like if if you support dgi uh you're actually supporting somebody who's like involved in the community uh so i always think of that as a nice little plus i, I didn't know that but i did interact with him he was super nice got back to me like instantly with any questions i had so I really really like dealing with the guy and i'm sure anyone that buys from him will have the same experience Brilliant. Well, on to our main topic. Um, we're going to be looking at extract runners. Sploosh, do you want to introduce what we're what we're talking about here? Yeah. Um, basically, the the basic idea is like when you set up a team. I think something no one really thinks about until you're actually playing the game. It's like who's actually going to hold stuff, and and that's referencing extracts. Um, you know, and we can get super deep on this, and I believe. I kind of just threw a list together like last minute, just kind of thinking it through my in how to categorize characters. And I came up with four and I'm, I'd be curious if we came up with more while talking right now and it could happen. Um, but I'll start us off. Uh, so there's uh, one type of character that should be holding extract are kind of like super tanky characters that maybe your opponent really honestly just wants to avoid. Um, and I came up with three examples, but I wonder even maybe She-Hulk should go on this list. But I was thinking Modok, Thanos, and Hulk. Um, generally, uh, I find that the average person, when they see Modok, their plan is, you know, throw the kitchen sink at him. And I actually think generally that's not the right idea. Um, in fact, one of the best ways to beat Modok is just kind of like run away from him because he's really slow and a little derpy. He doesn't have any charge effects or anything. And if you can, I mean, it's not always possible, but if you can just avoid MODOK, that's pretty ideal. Um, however, if MODOK's holding some critical thing, an extract, then you're kind of like, uh, well, maybe I want to attack MODOK now. And another great example, you know, like I said, Thanos. I mean, Thanos is just an absolute beast of a tank. He, he has the auto block and he's usually like surrounded by murderers and those characters are killing you. Um, 
and just it, it feels like a very uphill battle to like want to attack Thanos. Uh, I actually refer to you on this, Jacob. I mean, do you think Hulk is the kind of character people want to avoid, or do they just want to go all in on him? And I guess this is a fixed um, throw in the fact that all you've got just got restricted. So maybe that changes the math a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I think those are your two options with Hulk. You can't really go halfway with him. You're either going to really gun for him and really go for it, and that's got a really high upside and a really low downside. Um, uh, in terms of if you just miss and then you've got this really angry Hulk who can then, I don't know, get healed up and uh, bodyguarded and all sorts. Um, so yeah, having played a lot of three-cube Hulk, that then removes your opponent's ability to just ignore him. So having a whole load of uh, cube fragments on him, they've got to deal with it. Otherwise, they just lose the game. Yeah, I don't. I actually, I had it recorded. I th I want to say like season two or three. I played against the Hulk in the final round of the cut, or like before cut. And my strategy in that game was ignore him. And it worked out for me because, you know, he doesn't gain power, right? Yeah. When he hits people. So... It's kind of like you just sort of take the hits, you hope you survive, and you move on. And that's what ended up happening, and I ended up winning the game. But, I, you know, that's just stuck out at me. Is like that's an example of, like, Hulk getting ignored and, and losing you the game, you know. Um, and I know with your tech with cubes, you've, you're not only is he holding important objectives, but he's gaining power, and so it becomes harder to ignore him. So, yeah, I think Hulk's an interesting one um, there. I think you could maybe um, put some, like, characters who you... I kind of put Groot in that category, and I know Groot's not a popular character, but no one wants to attack Groot because if you leave him on one health, he just heals it all straight back and you've just wasted all your actions. So it's another character I see Groot and I'm like, I don't really want to attack him. I'm not that scared of him. He's big, he's slow. He doesn't hit that hard until he has like eight power on him or something ludicrous. So it takes ages for him to get good. So I'm just going to ignore him. So having an extract on him means, ugh, fine, right. I have to go and do something to Groot. Sure. Okay. This isn't going to be fun and it's probably going to go badly for me. And that's exactly the situation you want to put your opponent into. So I made a category I called bait and keep in mind, I just made these <laughs> up. I have no, this isn't some kind of scientific sure, sure. research, but my bait category, I put Groot in Black Panther. Um, and maybe they're just the same thing as MODOK and Thanos, but I think that they're a little different because let's be honest, like Groot's just kind of a big idiot. Yep. Like you, your opponent maybe just wants to like ignore Groot too, just like they'd ignore MODOK. So maybe they are very similar more than I want to admit, but I, you know, I don't know. Panther's kind of like fast and like you might be chasing him around the board and feeling like you're wasting your time if they go after him. He's obviously extremely tanky. And Groot, like you said, super tanky but slow. Maybe they should just be in the same category, but I felt maybe philosophically they're slightly uh, different. Like, and, and I think you bring up a good point. Like I wouldn't want to like have Rocket holding one um, if like there's a Groot option and they're both in the same corner. I, I, I would agree that like you put it on Groot. Um, I, I can see it. But the rocket actually goes into a, another description I created. Which yeah, you can I, get I figured to that's, that's where you were um, going right now. Yeah, well, so I also created a category I called efficiency, which is just like two threat characters. So you just give them things because they're the cheapest thing you got. And ideally, your opponent, let's say they're three threat characters holding something and your two threat characters holding something and in theory those characters are kind of just chilling in the back doing you know, i want to say doing nothing but really they're probably doing the most important thing a character could do which is scoring yep. your vps um 
so you in theory are up of like a threat because your two threat character is only two and their three threat character is three. And so I would consider that efficiency because you've got the cheapest possible character holding and scoring for you. Um, so yes, even though I just said I wouldn't give Rocket stuff, well, in the efficiency category, I probably would. And that's why there, there's a difference, but it's a philosophical yeah, difference. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's another mm-hmm. rationale. I want to hear your fourth category because I've got two categories and I suspect you've thought of one of them, which means I've got one to add. Well, I just named one the sniper category, and I, the character's example is is Cable or Storm. Storm is pretty sweet because she can shoot at range four, but she has stealth. So she can kind of hang back. She's also pretty efficient at three threat, but um, she can just kind of chill and try to contribute a little bit, hopefully get someone shocked, maybe throw someone away from her, but mostly just hang back and stay safe. And then Cable with his range five and his little teleport thing, he's probably one of the most snipery characters in the game i mean hawkeye i guess has a suit an argument as well uh i i have to i and i've had situations i had a game i played against someone where it was avengers and hawkeye and i was sending baron zemo after him and it was incredibly annoying like because he you know he did like the turn one like jump rnd grab run away and then zemo's like double long movie charging and it was just like this cat and mouse game where I'm like, damn, dude, if I didn't have Baron Zemo here, I don't know that I'd ever catch this Hawkeye efficiently. Mm. It, w- it would be so many wasted actions chasing this character down. Um, and never mind if they get the slow off, then you're just really sad. Um, but anyway, so that I would definitely put um, Hawkeye under like Sniper. Um, and then Hawkeye having the ability where if you attack at a certain range, he can shoot you back. It's I really totally good. agree. Um, and I think that's kind of the first category I came to because I started with who shouldn't be picking up extracts, which is kind of the flip flip of the coin of this. And something I see happen a lot in games is someone picks up an extract on a character who's only got a range to attack. And in my mind, they're, they're your hunters. In, in kind of, if you ignore the secures for a minute, if you just think about the extract side of the game, you've got your characters who you want to have and hold and keep your extracts and you have the characters who you're sending to go and get the extracts from the opponent. And, you know, if you're playing a four extract game and then you're likely to pick up two each, you want your, your keepers to hold on to those extracts for, for the whole game and you want your hunters to go and get the extracts as quickly as possible. If you're picking up an extract with, let's say, I don't know, Valkyrie, who only has range two attacks, and then sending her into the fray, well, that Valkyrie is going to get dazed. You're going to be delivering that extract to your opponent who's then going to pick it up. Um, not only that, they're likely to be picking it up with someone who's right next to Valkyrie because she came and stood right next to them, so you can pick it up straight away. Whereas this sort of sniper category, even if they do manage to get a long-range attack on them and take them out, then they're dropping an extract, and it's much more difficult for your opponent to run in and get it. So that's that's where I started. Um, and I think that the fifth category that I would add is just fast characters. And there's, there's some overlap here. So like Toad is a great example of a fast character who's also an efficient character by your uh, by your uh, rubric because he's only two threat. But I think his fastness kind of almost trumps his efficiency. And I think maybe Mystique, you might put Mystique in like a bait character, but she's a long, any of those long movers who've got some kind of defensive tech. So maybe even, um, uh, maybe even Proxima fits in this, uh, who can just, 
pick up an extract and take it to the other side of the table and just completely change the center of gravity of VPs and go, right, well, you have to come into me. You've got to waste actions getting close to me and you're going to be coming into my big hitters. That's another category that I think is a good category for uh, people to consider. Yeah, I don't know exactly where he fits in this, but I, I know while we're, I am, you know, I always have X Men on the brain, but I also think Beast fits in there somewhere. He's maybe not a Groot level of tankiness, but he is very tanky and very quick, and he's got a few free moves on his attack, like where he can move Sometimes, extra yeah. speed. <laughs> um, so I, I would ideally, um, I would play Beast in a way where he he kind of grabs and runs. And hopefully can fall back to somewhere where he can maybe score a secure, but mostly is just getting a um, extract out of a, like a difficult place and running away with it and not having the X-Men leadership helps with this. But um, I, I suppose I would call him bait because, and, and I would even add Taskmaster in this a little bit in that um, you're probably spending more energy taking him down than, than I'm spending holding the thing, you know? So like I'm spending three threat holding this thing and you're probably going to spend more than three threat going to get it off my hands, mm. you know? And then hopefully I'm using that extra threat, you know, sort of, um, you know, value and I'm using it to go get something from you. I, I, I'd like to uh, ask you guys, what do you think about Angela? She's an interesting one in my opinion, because obviously she's super fast and capable of grabbing things that, uh, you know, and kind of remove parity. But at the same time, she's five threat and she's mostly a range two attacker. Um, I'm just. Where do you think she fits in the game? Well, I think she's still great as just a yeah. Go go to the middle line, grab stuff. Especially in X Men, there there's a lot of absurd stuff she can do in X Men with that placing effect. Yeah. Um, but she she's great for just getting an imbalance, and then you just hang back and you say, well. I've broken the parody. You have to come deal with me. And sure, she'll fight you once you slog your way across the board and the, like, the action economy is like in your favor. Yeah, I think that round one play is what really sets her apart. And it's going to set uh, Amazing Spider-Man apart as well, like we talked about last week. But being able to yeah, set up the game and dictate to your opponent, this is what the game looks like now, is such a strong opening. Um, and I think that's kind of why I wanted to add the fast category as well, because she's not a super tank. She's not really, I mean, maybe she's bait, but I, I feel like she's not because she's a five threat character. I feel like your bait category has to almost by definition be a two or a three threat character. Um, she's not, uh, she's not a, a range, a far range person and she's not efficient because she's five threat. So I think that she fits into the fast category and particularly around her ability to interact round one with those center line objectives. I'm not saying I set this up on purpose, but even just thinking about it as you guys are talking, I actually think she fits into the actually, uh, it's almost like a trick question. I think if she is breaking parity, like obviously Montessi or like just cubes or even um, mm -hmm. spider infected, uh, where she can go grab middle run away. Like I think a hundred percent it's been pr proven that that's like exceptional yep. in this game. Right. Yep. And, and I, and I do, I do, um, I do think Mark said it well, which which is like, yeah, now I'm burning their actions coming to me, right? Um, however, if she's not doing that, I actually think she's in the bad category. Like, she's an example of what you actually you don't want to do. And I lost to Sooner in the Invitational, on, uh, you know, in the first round, uh, like top eight, where uh, I 
was so proud of myself for like, oh, Angela's going to like get this hammer and then like bring it back on Gamma. And what ended up happening is um, we were like break even, but actually not even that because I was losing the middle control because unfortunately Gamma, you know, scores, well, unfortunately for me, yay for sooner, but Gamma, uh, you know, offers so many points that it kind of can overwhelm the mm. extract game. And really, the focus of the game wasn't so much the hammers as much as it was who could control the middle of gamma, which I miss. I, I so, figured I figured that wrong. <laughs> you know, you want to add something there? A uh, couple things. One, I think Angela is actually at her best when you don't necessarily even go with her first, and you just say, "If the person on the other side tries to go after my extract." I will come over there, I will strike them, I will place myself wherever I can to get the biggest piece of terrain to throw at you and probably ah, take you special. out. Uh, and then you just have uh, sure. Toad on the other side or you use the X-Men leadership or some other just... like shenanigan so that you can steal the other one. And then you go to a 3-1 split and at that point you have a 2-point VP yeah. disparity over your opponent oh. on extracts. Which means even on Gamma, you've got parity going yeah, well, into the next round. Just a tanky round. character like Black Panther, who's fast enough and can take a hit on that far side, unless they've got like their own Angela to threaten that. And even then, you know, Angela into Black Panther, it's, it's, it's a dice game. Black Panther survives probably as much as he doesn't. So I, it depends I agree, on the but, terrain and whether there's brace around. Hear me out, though, Mark. I actually agree with you, but I think you're agreeing with me uh, indirectly in that. Um, so in the game with Sooner, I was doing that. I was purposely like leaving the hammer there, hoping he would send someone. And Sooner very correctly saw that that would be stupid. <laughs> and yeah, he yeah. put all his resources into grabbing the opposite hammer. And, and unfortunately, I lost priority, which sucked. But he Okay, well, when you don't hammer. have priority, yeah. all bets are off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. And then he also just identified that if I own the middle of Gamma, then like I'm up on points too, right? So yeah. I, I made a horrible mistake because even if I go and grab the hammer and then try to like move, I can't, I, have, I didn't have enough power at that point to throw a size four truck, which, so I just completely lost like any kind of like tempo aggression. And I basically burned like five threat on just getting an uncontested hammer, you know? Yeah. Um, and like you're saying, it's, it's, and I, I think um, Jacob kind of almost made it into like a soccer analogy, but it's like, she isn't actually in that situation, the ideal sort of like keeper, grabber, holder of objective. She was better and more well-designed for maybe being more aggressive and going and taking the hammer from someone else, you know? Um, sadly, because I didn't have priority, uh, it was up to sooner to like kind of bait me and then like go grab somewhere else. So I couldn't actually play Angela the way I wanted to. And, um, you know, it, it ended up making me lose the game. Um, do you guys think there's like other examples of like characters? I, I have one that I'll just throw out. It's, I think Corvus. You don't give him things. Um, but is there other characters that you guys can think of that um, you just shouldn't be really having them hold stuff? Even And, and keep in mind power too. Um, Baron Zemo only having one power and wanting to charge, I think giving him stuff can screw him up. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of web warriors who want power to do stuff, and if they've spent a power on round one, then they're often still only on one power round two, and they still can't do all their cool party tricks. So nearly all the web warriors. Yeah, you you have to spend uh, you you have to spend some serious time thinking about who on your team actually has power economy um, to pick up stuff. 
um, because some people need that second power for round two. Web Warriors is the perfect example. They're famous for having arguably the worst round one out of anybody, just because of like how weird their power uh, issues are. Stuff if they commit forward and then Gwen webline someone in, and then you can start wailing on them and build power that way. That that can be good, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. If, if your opponent makes mistakes, you, you've already won, right? It's true. The threat of a, of that, though, is quite powerful, but you're right. I mean, I, I do think, yeah, Gwen is the cutest and the, the fun part of that, and, and Gwen can create cascades of fun, you know, where it's like... Become that that should be the title of the episode. Gwen is yeah, the I cutest. Like, I like cascades of fun. I think that's a good title. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. We got it. Um... But yeah, no, I, I still agree with your general premise, though, is that they generally just have kind of a bad turn one. And then if you're giving stuff to certain characters, like I, I found with Miles, like I liked having Miles grab things, but I, I had to be at peace with the fact that doing that kind of just took him out of the game for like two turns. Yeah. Um, which it's probably okay, and, and it's a whole different subject. But and, and really, that's what's tricky about this conversation. All we really can do is give groundwork. I think everybody's got to think for themselves as to how their characters are going to work. But I was always at peace with it because one, I didn't want my leader to die and lose my affiliative, you know, the leadership ability. Um, I, I think miles is relatively squishy. Like he's not some Uber tanky character. He's tanky, but like you can get kind of squished pretty easy if you overcommit with him. And he's just kind of better with an extract because he's always getting his leadership ability. So I was always at peace with like, all right, I'll just put him over here. He's pretty solid in a 1v1 situation too. So I was always kind of happy to like allow him to grab an extract and just kind of hold a VP for a while. Um, he can even do kind of hit and run stuff later on in the game when he gets more power. But um, yeah, I don't know. Any other good examples? Well, I, I think the whole idea of thinking about who your extract holders are going to be, and you need to adapt on the fly in the game. That's part of what the game's about. But a really good example of this is if you go back and have a look at the round one for Pat versus Morgan in the finals of the um, Davy Protocols Invitational. Morgan, so Pat was running this Angela play we've been talking about where uh, he's gone gone hard on one side and has got a threat. He's got that same same thing available to him. And Morgan's put in a difficult a position of what does he do and who goes and gets... He's trying to get at least two spiders and not go down for one. That would be absolutely atrocious. Um, so he's thinking, right, who are my two characters who are going to get my spider infected? And his lineup that he ended up with was Toad, Shuri, Valkyrie, Loki, and Thor. And when you... Uh, I think I talked about this on the commentary. When you stick that down in your deployment zone, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, right, well, the two characters there that I want to go and get spiders on are Toad and Shuri. Toad, he's that fast and efficient character. And Shuri, she's one of your snipers. She's hanging out at the back and you have to come and kind of come to her. She's not going to be taking her spider to the opponents. Whereas Thor, Loki, and Valkyrie all want to go and get within range two of people. They're going to be your your hunters. They're the ones who are going to be good at going and getting them. I mean, maybe Loki's decent at defending, but he's best when he gets up into range two and can start striking and fueling his I am a god repeatedly. Uh, as that as that game panned out, mm. uh because of Pat's round one play, he needed to use Shuri differently. And it ended up with Thor going and picking up a spider infected. 
And that meant not only is he got a high threat character who's going to be a target for Pat to attack anyway, if he gets anywhere near him, because it's just it's a big threatening character that you need to deal with, but it's doubled up the fact that he's carrying an extract. And then it's tripled up with the fact that that extract then has the ability to move him, which happened like three times throughout the game and really hampered Morgan's ability to get the most out of Thor, which then, you know, was a contributing factor towards the result of that game. So that, I thought that was a really good yeah, um, case study of, I totally understand all the decisions Morgan made in that, and I'm not going to argue that they were bad decisions, but just having thinking about your plan of who is it that should be grabbing these extracts. But then you get the really interesting situation of what about on Hammers? Hammers is a really, really popular scenario. But again, that's something that you've got to think about is, that hammer is a VP, but that hammer is also a bonus dice. And so that helps you with the attrition, which can help you win the game. So hammers, I think, is the hardest one to choose the right person. And then you've got the fact it impacts on team tactics cards as well. So you've got a lot of things to put in the blend there. Are you going to, something I've seen and tried and it's awful, is having someone, I don't know, let's this really cool thing where Ghost Rider can pick up the close hammer and then go to uh, a wide hammer and grab both hammers. Uh, I talked on uh, the Morlocks podcast about that as a strategy. Uh, I tried it. It's awful. What you're doing is you're delivering two hammers to your <laughs> opponent and one of them was right by your deployment zone. So you're shifting all of the VPs over to their side of the table and they just daze Ghost Rider and go, thank you for the hammers. That was really kind of you to deliver us some hammers. Thank you for uh, Uber uber hammers um so hammers you've got to think really carefully where are these characters going who is going to benefit from them and actually probably the best person for a hammer sadly is modok because he's very tanky he's long range and you've got to come to him and he's hard to take down so um thinking and even if you do commit to him and take him down he's probably got a few friends around who are like totally happy to like Exactly. So, you know, and you've activated. So like priority isn't shifting, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I I agree um, with that part of it. I mean, Grant Modoc is a lot more squishy than it used to be, um, but he's still, he's still Modoc. So, and, and like, I just, Corvus is better at going and getting stuff. I mean, it sounds cool in your head, like Corvus with a hammer, but um for multiple reasons that's kind of awkward like if you're doing mothership he can't yeah. be holding a hammer uh and then storm leadership can't be holding a hammer i find what i play yeah exactly and when he when he's holding a hammer it's doing it's like you said with thor it's like a, a range two character that's like bringing you an objective and you want to yeah, kill him so anyway you're being rewarded you know? for doing it yeah. the best feeling is the absolute best feeling is when you're watching your opponent because it's, you know, their activation and they're sitting there hemming and hawing over like, oh, like Proxima is holding this hammer, but like Corvus is here, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I really want to kill Corvus. But if I kill Corvus, that actually doesn't succeed in changing the game state. Like I'm still losing. And if I go after Proxima, then like Corvus is still there. And, and that's for me, the situation I want. You're basically trying to steal your opponent's agency. And, you know, another thing is I'm sure I, I would love to ask Pat in that game you described if he knew how soon he I bet you he knew because he's Pat and he knows. But how soon did he identify like Morgan's in a bad spot because like something as simple as who's holding the extract, you um, know, I, th- I think um, I knowing think that Pat, probably he, happened when he won priority and first picked Angela. 
Sure, but I mean, I'm talking like turn zero placement of characters, and and uh, one thing too, I I hope people get from this conversation isn't just their own team, but I think a lot of tabletop comes down to turn zero decisions, and when you see your opponent play like say a storm down, um, identifying not just that like oh there's this character and maybe the left corner, but like oh that's probably the character that's going to get the extract because that's like the optimal extract character, you know, and so I'm going to play like maybe you know the optimal character to like go steal that extract or I'm going to just play another easy extract character knowing that they're going to play passively like there's like a whole slew of like mind games going on on turn zero and so i'm thinking when pat's watching this unfold he's thinking okay well obviously i know i'm going to send angela and steal you know sort of the initiative of this game but also like oh i see like thor is really the only logical choice on that corner so like now i can emphasize like killing thor to really like send this game into, you know, the ending, um, you know, that kind of stuff, like where you can identify where the real fight's going to be and where the weakness is and try to come, you know, finish that opponent. Yeah. And, and again, looking back at uh, Morgan's deployment in that game, the only character that, because thinking about where you're deploying your characters is really important. And, he deployed all of his characters except Thor, either on the middle line or to the side of the middle line. So Shuri was always going to have to kind of double move to go and get one of the wide uh, spider infected. So it, it does come back to thinking about that at turn zero. You're absolutely right. Because just looking at how he just looking at how he deployed, yeah. it's like, well, if it's not Thor going to get that, then it's costing you two actions to get it. Hmm, that feels bad. Right. Yeah, um, I think that's about nails it for me. I, um, you guys have any f closing thoughts on the subject? I, you know, I didn't totally a bit go of an down. Aside, but the new crisis, I'm actually excited for that. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have discussed on the podcast yet, but I love seeing more C secures and especially ones that discourage retreating i think that's going to be a lot healthier for extract interactions in this game yeah i agree i mean i do enjoy like um the serum just design i really like how map beasts play out sometimes it can be a lot of like cat and mouse and it's really cool yeah but unfortunately it's it kind of creates negative play experience because having to have a character just chill in a obscure corner of the map can feel horrible when your opponent's like running around and you can't afford to remove resources to go get them. Mm, it's the one that's, um, yeah. And so having most likely to result in a stalemate, having the design, having this other design, right. Where you can like kind of play all in the middle. And as long as you're controlling a majority, you kind of like force your opponent to interact with you. As much as I like the other version of the way the game's played, it's the game is moving away from that sort of, com I guess, at least competitively. And this other style is probably just better for the game, you know. So, uh, I just wanted to touch on. We didn't really hit efficiency. I mean, it's kind of obvious, like two threat characters. I just want to touch on like how hilariously overpowered Akoya is, because Akoya is just like never the wrong choice. Because if you put her to hold something, she's only two threat and who cares? But even if you don't have her holding things, which I think is a valid 
tactic because of her bodyguard. Because it's like, oh, like this maybe three or whatever threat character is holding something, but I can just throw like this super efficient mini under the bus and take all the hits, you know? Um, and I, I actually could see an argument for which one's a better call. Like, is it better to have the two threat Okoye holding something and not contributing as much in the back, even though she has a range three shot, uh, which how the hell did she get that through testing? But um, yeah. a range four, I mean. But also, if you don't have her hold something, she's still just insane because she could block for the other character and take the hits. And if she gets dazed, it's like, oh, whatever. She was only two threat anyway. Yeah, I mean, and her dice are insane. I mean, she's basically three dice plus a reroll, which is almost a four dice defense. So she's blocking better than most characters. I mean, in this she game. kind of fits into three of your five categories that we've kind of got now. She fits into the bait, she fits into the efficiency, and she fits into the sniper because she can just sit back and just shoot people at range four. Yeah, exactly my point. It's almost like she, she can't do wrong in this game. It's silly. Um, anyway, I and, and for the other normies out there that play like the other two threats that aren't Okoye, um, I mean like you know you got Widow who is fitting more into like she can hide with her, she's mostly efficiency but she's fast and can go grab something, move back to a VP and just sort of chill and have stealth to kind of hide. Not really a sniper because she's not really doing anything there, but at least she's efficient. Um, unfortunately, I think the game's been a little overshadowed by Okoye, and I know apparently characters they don't want to put them on any kind of restricted list. But like, my God, I think Okoye could be like the flagship for like, can we do something about this? Um, you know, be the change you want to see. Spurge, <sighs> don't play Okoye. Yeah, right. Uh, I, um, why would I ever I think, make that decision? Genuinely, I think she's not making it into my season five roster. Well, you're Ooh. a maniac. What have you done? Uh, that's fine. I'll just. Well, uh, how do you want to hint at that no, a little bit? Gonna... A little, at least affiliation uh, choice? Probably Brotherhood. I think in Brotherhood, I'm struggling to. I think there's better things I want to do with that threat at pretty much every threat level. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I think even just the discussion here about Akoi's interaction with extracts just is more examples of why she's insane. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I really like her, and she was in the roster originally, but I just, through iterative testing, just went, eh, no. Just want to wrap this up by saying thank you to Mark for stepping in to so ably fill Dizzard's shoes. And uh, Mark, if people are keen to hear more from you, remind us where we can where we can get that content. Uh, it'll all be on the Across the Bifrost Nexus, so that's going to be acrossthebifrost.com. I do a lot of articles on there. I nominally do a podcast, but it's kind of been in hibernation in between seasons, as people might have noticed. Uh, but hopefully with some exciting new lists coming out for uh, Quicksilver and or obviously Season 5 proper, that'll start back up again. Um, but yeah, you can find all of that on acrossthebyfrost.com, including Danger Room, if you aren't already uh, getting it through there. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for stepping in today. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners, for day. spending some time in the Danger Room. And then the music. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the Danger Room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game. You can reach out to us on our Discord, Twitter, or Facebook. The links will be in the description. We have a questions channel on our Discord, so feel free to drop us some questions in there and we'll answer them on the show.
Thank you for taking the time and listening to us. If you're liking what you hear, leave a rating or comment or even both. We appreciate any feedback to help us grow and become a better group to bring you the best quality content that we can. See you next time in the Danger Room. Simulation.